Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. And so this morning I wanted to talk a little bit about what is it like in here and how do we work with this experience, being human, the body, the mind, the heart. And I wanted to introduce a topic that I've actually spoken on a lot in a bunch of different settings called Buddhist meditation and the three skills. So sometimes if I'm in a non-Buddhist setting, I'll drop the Buddhist and I'll just call it meditation and the three skills. And the reason for that actually is that I find that this teaching on the three skills can be really useful. It was when I first heard it to anyone that's just getting started into meditation and be just as useful for people that have been at it a long time. Regardless of whether we identify as someone that's Buddhist or someone that's just interested in Buddhism or someone that's not interested in it at all but is interested in maybe the relaxation or the productivity or the efficiency that we can find with practicing mindfulness. So I'm not one of these people anymore, I think I'm just getting older, where I'm particularly grumpy about people's tendencies to cherry pick parts of meditation from the Buddhist tradition and implement them in other areas of the world. Now you may be like, what is he talking about? Well, in the Buddhist world, sometimes people get a little bit up in arms about the origination of mindfulness and the real purpose of it and how now it's being used, you know, on the magazine covers at Whole Foods and, you know, and to name our businesses and all that. Like my email is Nashville mindfulness, right? And so it's a very big buzzword, I guess is what I'm saying. And I actually think that's okay. I think it's good. Um, There's nothing really particularly Buddhist to me about the Buddhist teachings, actually. And the word Dharma, which is what the Buddha taught, what it translates to mean is it means the way things are. And it's not the way things are from an intellectual perspective. It's uh, the way things are from an experiential perspective. The Buddha was interested in investigating how things are for us from the inside out. How is the mind when you sit down and watch it? How does it feel in the body when you sit down and watch it? What does it do? And so when I first heard the teachings, they just felt true to me. When I heard the Buddha describe the Four Noble Truths, they just felt true. Have you noticed life's difficult? Have you noticed that when you want it to be different than how it is, you suffer? Yes, I noticed that. (laughs) Have you noticed that when unpleasant feelings are here, you want them to go away? 
when pleasant feelings are here, you want them to stay. Yeah, I've noticed that. So I guess what I'm saying is, however we get in the water with mindfulness, I think it's a good thing. And I think these three skills help me to understand what is it that we're doing here when we're meditating. And when I teach on the three skills, they're usually two. I kind of have this inner assessment tool that I use, like which version of it am I going to give? And it really depends on how you answer the question that I asked you all up top. Why do you meditate? And if my assumption is the person that's facilitating is that you meditate to eliminate stress, I'll teach the three skills one way. And if my assumption is the person that's teaching uh, to the, the audience, if my assumption about the audience is that they're trying to not reduce stress, but, or sorry, let me say that again. If I think that you're trying to reduce stress, I'll teach it one way. If I think that you're trying to eliminate it, I'll teach it another. I think the Buddha's Dharma talks about eliminating stress. I think that's hard for us to comprehend. How could you get rid of stress, suffering? And I think because of that, we kind of sell ourselves short sometimes. We say, well, you know, I just want to reduce it. I want to make life more manageable. I think that's also a really good goal. My first meditation teacher, Dave, used to say, your goal should be at first just to suffer less. And when he is teaching compassion meditation, he said, your goal is not to love yourself, it's to hate yourself less. <laughs> I think this is appropriate. When we approach meditation, you know, maybe our goal is just to feel a little bit more at ease in our body, a little bit more still on the inside, a little bit less reactive in our day-to-day -day life, a little bit more focused. But I want to read what the Buddha was teaching mindfulness for. He says, monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of stress and discontent for acquiring the true method for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. This is the practice. So this is the practice for the disappearance of this word dukkha, stress, discontent. And the Buddha is teaching mindfulness not as a stress reduction practice, but a stress elimination practice to uproot. And in his words, to uproot, we talk about reactivity, but in the Buddhist context, that means the greed, hatred, and delusion, the conditioning, the solidity of these poisons, he's calling them, in our mind, in our heart, in our mind. So I could talk a long time mostly conjecture about what eliminating, eliminating stress would feel like and what it would be like and how the Buddha teaches that. And you may have some doubts about the possibility of that, and that's okay. 
But for those that are new, I'll say a couple things about the Buddhist teaching that maybe will help out. From a Buddhist perspective, the Buddha is not saying that we get rid of pain, that meditation helps us to not feel pain or to not experience loss or to not experience, you know, just the unpleasantness that comes when we get things that we don't want or don't get things that we do want. But he's saying that we can eliminate our reactivity to those experiences. We can understand and accept life as it is rather than always fighting against it and trying to get it to be one way or another. And so the Buddha is saying that the suffering that can be eliminated is really, it's created in the mind, it's made in the mind. And he's saying that if you investigate your mind with keen attention, with mindfulness, that you can have deep and profound realization into the ways in which your mind is creating and proliferating the suffering in your life. As Joseph Goldstein's Meninger, uh, teacher Meninjirji used to say, if you want to understand your mind, you've got to sit down and watch it. So, reducing stress, it's a noble aspiration for our meditation practice. In the beginning, I just wanted to suffer less because I think a lot of people, at least those that stick around, and you know, maybe this isn't your story, a lot of people come to this practice not because they want to, but because they need to. Buddhism is kind of like the last, you know, <laughs> the last door of spiritual traditions, I feel like. The Buddha is talking about suffering and the cause of suffering and how we can free ourselves from suffering. And he's kind of saying, yeah, that's how it is. It's really fucking hard to be human. This thing that we're in is really challenging. And so if we're coming here to just make it less challenging, I think that's a, a really good goal. And I think the way that I usually teach the three skills is that what meditation will enable you to do is to be more present and to be more aware of what's happening and to be more accepting of life as it's happening. Presence, awareness, and acceptance are the three skills that you develop through mindfulness. In the present moment, Thich Nhat Hanh says, is a very important moment because it's the moment that's completely made up of your past and is completely creating your future. And I think so much of the time, I'm just not here. Like a lot of my problem in life is that I'm just not here. My body's here, I think. But my mind is somewhere else. And a lot of my stress in life can be dealt with by trying to practice being more present, more available to the, the moment that's in front of me. So the skill of presence is the ability to be here. That's the practice. And I don't know about your experience, but my mind doesn't just do that automatically. I actually have to tell my mind. I have to remind my mind, I should say. 
gentle reminder all day long. Oh, you're here. Anytime you've been at a family event and you're on your phone and you just have that awareness, you're like, oh, I'm going to put it down for a second. That, that's a moment of mindfulness. I'm just going to be here for a second. Come back. So presence, that's one of the ability to be here. Awareness is another one of the skills, and I call it an ability to notice what's happening here. It's kind of like checking in. What's happening here in this moment? The body feels like this. The mind is like this. Even I think of the, the um, AA suggestion. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Right, that just real simple, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hungry or I'm feeling lonely. Because a lot of times all these behaviors that cause problems in my life could be mitigated by this simple awareness of how am I feeling right now? What's happening in this moment? It's the difference between being in a thought and aware of a thought or in a feeling and aware of a feeling, that awareness. And the third skill is acceptance. Mindfulness teaches us this ability to be here, an ability to notice what's happening here, and then an ability to be with what's happening here. There's a quote by Ajahn Sumedho, a Thai forest monk, who's now retired and probably nearing his 90s. And he says, right now, it's like this. Right now, it's like this. And it, and it really encapsulates all three of these, doesn't it? Presence, awareness, acceptance, in one simple phrase. Right now, it's like this. Don't need to change this or fix this or do anything about this. First, I just need to come into this experience with awareness. But what you'll find is that when you have a meditation practice, this tradition has a very rich focus on developing mindfulness as a training, as a mind training. And the Buddha, more than anything else, I think, really gave really wonderful instructions on how to practice mindfulness. And to practice sitting, meditation and walking meditation, standing meditation and talking meditation. He has actually a whole list, shitting meditation, even made it in the book, <laughs> believe it or not. So he gives instructions on how to practice mindfulness in all of these areas of our life. Presence, awareness, acceptance. When we approach our meditation practice, it's, I think it's been helpful for me to notice what's actually happening. Like, what am I training? What am I developing? And what I found is that there are these three skills, presence, awareness, and acceptance, but instead I would call them concentration, investigation, and equanimity. Concentration, presence, investigation, awareness, equanimity, acceptance. Now I'm going to get a little technical for the next 10 minutes. 
and I don't want you to feel like this is a classroom because especially when I heard my teachers as a kid telling me to pay attention, talk about concentration, I was checked out. It's not for me. But I hope to talk a little bit about why it's important and actually why you already do it. Maybe you don't even know that you do it, but that you actually do have all of these abilities to concentrate, to investigate, and to have equanimity. Concentration is an ability to find, place, and sustain your attention where you consider it to be relevant at a given time. That's the technical definition. An ability to find, place, and sustain your attention where you consider it relevant at a given time. Now, one of our biggest problems and what causes stress in life is that our attention is conditioned towards the flow of the thinking mind and that your thoughts are conditioned towards the flow of reactivity. So that when you don't pay attention to where your attention is, your attention goes into a lot of bad neighborhoods. Let's just say it that way and gets into a lot of trouble. And even in neuroscience, they talk about how attention, whatever the attention is on, seems to get magnified. It seems to light up all of these different regions of the brain. So what you pay attention to has a dramatic impact on your perception of the world you live in and your way of relating to the world you live in. And sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it's as simple as moving your attention away from that thing, from that bad neighborhood that it's stuck in, that can make all of the difference in the world. You ever been driving down the road and you just start to get lost in thought? You start thinking about your job or your ex or whatever it may be, right? And if you just put a timer on, if we were to do a little study, just put a timer on and follow you an hour, two hours, three hours down the road, uninterrupted, no mindfulness. What is it like? What happens? Just think. What happens on these days when you get stuck in thought? Nothing good for me. I end up quitting the job. I end up texting the ex. I end up in a lot of pretty bad moments because of following these rabbit holes, my thinking mind. And so just even the power of being able to recognize what our attention is doing and being able to shift it back into the moment or back into something else. Because the Buddha does talk about cultivating wholesome mind states. He talks about the importance of actually putting your attention onto worthy things, things that are worthy of your attention. So concentration and meditation, when we focus on the breath, I just want you all to know we're doing that for a reason. It's not because the breath is special. It just so happens that you're going to be breathing as long as you're alive. And so it's pretty reliable. But it helps you to break the addiction to the thinking mind. 
It helps you to bring your attention into a place where it can sustain and find some tranquility and some calm over time. And it helps you to, the third thing it helps you to do is to develop an objective vantage point. It's like if the breath is my home, anytime it leaves my home and goes back up into the mind, I'm more able to track it. But if my attention is always living out there in my thoughts, I can't really track it that easy. Does that make sense? Concentration. The second skill is investigation. As we start to develop some basic concentration through our meditation practice, we find the breath in the body, we try to listen into the cycle of the inhalation, the exhalation, the mind starts to become still. The mind actually can become so still that it enters into these states of stillness called jhana. Interestingly, these aren't things that you can really go after. They're things that you enter into when you set up the condition. So if you're patient enough and you just keep attending to the breath, the mind can become very still in meditation. And we can start to have a more refined awareness. It's like we're able to look through a magnifying glass at the movements of the mind and we can start to investigate more clearly, more keenly what's occurring in moment to moment experience. So once we have some basic concentration established, we can start to observe the moment-to-moment -moment experience in more detail. We call this insight or vipassana in this tradition. Vipassana literally means looking into. I love the Buddhist teaching because the invitation here is to study your mind directly. Study this experience, this moment-to-moment -moment sensory experience that you're in directly. Not as an idea, not as a concept. The Buddha is not interested in telling you what's happening. He's interested in helping you practice so you can see what's happening. We learn through observation, right? Like, I've had many a time people tell me things that I know to be true, but I'm only really going to internalize it when I go through it most of the time. I wish it was the other way around. I wish you could just be like, hey, man, don't go down that street. Talking about when I was in active addiction, right? <laughs> don't, go in the, go, don't go into that person's house. It's like, oh, no, I think I'm going to go, right? I think I'm going to find out for myself. I learn through experience. And as we observe in meditation our direct experience, what we're doing, and this is really important, is we're actually observing our direct sensory experience. And what I mean by this is we're di observing directly the sensation, the felt sense, we're observing the valiance, I know that's a big word, the feeling tone, the Buddha calls it, 
whether this experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We're observing the mind states, the atmosphere of your mind. Sometimes we call these moods. You ever just notice what mood you're in? It's really powerful to be like, oh, my mind is just, I'm just in a shitty mood right now. Everything I see is through the lens of shitty mood. I don't know about you, but that's how it is for me. It's like when I'm lonely, I only tell lonely stories and I only see lonely things. When I'm restless, I only tell restless stories and I only see restless things. And so the Buddha is saying we can actually look at the mind state. We can watch it. Sensation, feeling, mind state, and conceptual thoughts. Is your mind planning right now? Is it daydreaming right now? Is it remembering? And the first thing that starts to happen is, for me at least, I think it's different for different people, the first insight that I started to develop through mindfulness practice was this insight of cause and effect. Just like driving down the road in my car and getting lost in thought is I actually started to see that when I really looked with keen attention, that moment before I thought about my ex was because I saw a car that was the same make and model of her car. And in that moment of contact, that sensory event, a thought pulled up on the screen of her. And as the thought pulled up on the screen of her, I felt that feeling in the pit of my stomach. And as that feeling came up as the pit, in the pit of my stomach, I started to think about our breakup. And then I started to think about how long it's been since our breakup. And then I started to think about how I'll never be in love again. And then I started thinking about my future. And, all started because I saw a car, right? And so we start to see this cause and effect relationship moment to moment, sensations arising and feelings arising and mind states arising and thoughts arising, all affecting and influencing each other, like dominoes falling down. And then we start to have this other insight, this deep realization that the mind has a mind of its own, that we're not in control actually of this unfolding. Sensations and these feelings and these mind states and these thoughts are all just coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. We start to see that they're impermanent and that they're impersonal. And what, what does this help us with? For me, it helps me to break down the solidity of the self. How much suffering do we experience around self? Comparison, judgment, you and me, them and us. When we start to see this process of thoughts and feelings and sensations, we start to realize that it's not uniquely me. It's not me that's driving it. It's not me that's doing it. It's just happening. 
And I share this because this is the nuance. It's very liberating to walk around and not feel so much suffering around ourself and the stories that we tell about ourselves and how much compassion we can start to feel for other people that are in these different versions of their own suffering, their own human experience. So in meditation, when you focus on the breath, and you start to find some stillness and some connection with the breath, you can start to relax a little bit on the anchor. And different traditions say different things about how much concentration is needed. My opinion is just enough. I'm a C minus kind of guy, you know. <laughs> so just enough. Once we start to feel a little bit like here, a little more here than anywhere else, then we can start to monitor when the attention goes somewhere else. And we can start to notice, instead of getting involved in the story that the mind's telling, we can start to note thinking. We can start to break down the sensory experience into its component parts. I practice this in uh, the Burmese tradition. It's very popular for this noting technique. And you either kind of love it or hate it. I feel like most people hate it, but it's very useful. And what they do is they say, okay, your first task is to note your breath. When you breathe in, silently say the word in on the inhalation, quietly to yourself. When you breathe out, silently say the word out on the exhalation when you breathe out. And they say, that's your primary object, simple practice. That's what you do. After a couple days, they say, okay, now anything else that happens, anything, painful feeling in your leg, a daydream, thought, or whatever, doesn't matter, anything else that's happening, note wandering. And then return back to in, out, in, out. Tension wanders, note wandering. Then a couple days later, they say, okay, now we're going to get more specific. When your attention wanders, we want you to note sensation. We want you to note feeling. We want you to note mind state. We want you to note the type of the thought. So now you start to note planning. Now you start to note Remembering. Now you start to know pleasant feeling. Now you start to know unpleasant feeling. Now you start to know pressure. And when you start to do this, you notice all of these component parts that are making up what I call Andrew. These moment-to-moment -moment experiences, processes unfolding. And so at the beginning of my practice, this was helpful because I would start driving down the road and just noticing when I was shooting into planning or worrying. And I would have these little labels and I would be able to say, oh, worrying. I remember even 
not the exact moment, but when I started to be able to note emotions like loneliness or sad or restlessness and just how powerful it was to even just, again, not be in the feeling, but aware of the feeling and just to be able to be like, oh, I'm, my mind is lonely right now. skill that we develop is concentration investigation is equanimity and I think this is the most important maybe it's in the nature of my mind to have to have a winner and if I had to I'd say equanimity is the winner for sure equanimity is an ability to allow all of these sensory events the sensations and feelings and thoughts that are happening in meditation practice to come and go without holding on to them or pushing them away you know, when we talk about something like acceptance, if I just zoom out for a second and we say, okay, do we all agree in this room that acceptance is a good principle to live by? Generally, yeah. My problem with acceptance is that I wanna accept what I'm going through. I wanna accept what's happening, but I think that if I do, that it will make it go away. I think it will make my pain go away or the grief go away or it, that it will somehow change the experience that I'm in if I accept it. But true acceptance is actually a willingness to be with whatever's happening, warts and all, pain and all, loss and all, unpleasantness and irritability and all. And equanimity is the most important to me because it's that powerful. It's an ability to be with whatever is happening not needing to change it, not needing to fix it, not needing to push it away, not needing to figure it out, just simply being in the experience. And why is this important? What is its function in meditation? There's a Buddhist scholar named Bhikkhu Nalio that talks about how equanimity allows for this non-interfering quality of awareness. You might notice that when you come into meditation, people talk about not judging what's happening. But this is really tricky because meditation is not about judging. It's not, oh, I'm having a thought, I'm doing it wrong. Bad thought, right? We're not trying to do that. We're actually not trying to take the thoughts personally at all. You're not doing it, it just happened. Bring your attention back to the breath. But we are trying to have discernment. So it's tricky because you're not judging yourself for anything that's happening, but you are trying to have discernment. What is happening? Where is your attention? And so the way that I like what Bikunalio says here is he calls equanimity, instead of non-judgment, he calls it this ability to just not interfere with what's happening. And he says this, this non-interfering quality of mindfulness is required to enable someone to clearly observe the buildup of reactions and their underlying motives. As soon as you become in any way involved in a reaction to what's happening, the observational vantage point, the ability to be aware is immediately lost. The receptivity of mindfulness and remaining objective enables you to step back from the situation and become an unbiased observer of the subjective involvement in the entire situation. 
Maintaining the presence of mindfulness in this way is closely related to an ability to tolerate a high degree of cognitive dissonance. Since witnessing one's own shortcomings ordinarily leads to unconscious attempts at reducing them or getting rid of them. So what he's saying is that sitting and observing what your mind is up to requires a high degree of cognitive dissonance. We are not trying to take the mind personally. We're trying to see the experience for what it is and simply arrive into it and be with it. When the Buddha, in his story of his awakening and in, in his enlightenment, his mind was attacking him. We call this Mara, this, this demon, this mythological creature. His mind was attacking him, and what he did is he reached down to the earth for the earth to bear witness to his ability to wake up. And I like to think that the Buddha was reminding himself that he's here to not move, that he doesn't have to do anything to fix or to change or to figure out. He just had to sit with his mind. And it's not just about detachment, it's about compassion. It's about being able to open up to our experience with care. So Ajahn Sachito writes, being honest about our reactive habits, our shortcomings and our stubbornness leads us to inquire as to what keeps us bound to these unsatisfactory ways of operating. And with that sense of inquiry, as we step back from engaging in the reactions and just look into them rather than condemning or justifying them, we find some intimate wisdom, clarity and light. We know there is no point in operating through these forms of reactivity because that either supports the wall that we build against life or keeps us running on automatic. However, every time we step back and review ourselves, there's a steady, this is how it is kind of wisdom. A wise seeing that lessens how personally we take our shortcomings. After all, there's nothing so uniquely me about having a personality with its faults and limitations. This is everyone's work. In this way, these two functions of meditation, the ability to step back and the ability to look into the experience intimately, they go together and support each other. He's talking about concentration and investigation, the ability to step back and the ability to look into. So that's what I've got for today. Thank you all for your attention, for listening, for your time. And we've got plenty of time, uh, 15 minutes or so, just to open it up. If anyone wants to share about this topic, concentration, investigation, equanimity, presence, awareness, acceptance, or about any topic that's present in your life today, please feel free.